Welcome back to the Northeast Newscast. On this week's episode, we're joined by Dennis Ellsworth, Executive Director of the Missouri Sunshine Coalition. We discuss a bill being proposed in the Missouri legislature that would change the Missouri Sunshine Law, leaving citizens and journalists with less access to government documents. This episode of the Northeast Newscast was made possible by Shemeika's Online Market in Delhi and Seaburg Mufflers. Thanks for tuning in. The Missouri Sunshine Coalition is a partnership of civic, business, nonprofit, state agency, and media members who support transparency in government. The group has long promoted awareness of the landmark 1973 Sunshine Law and the benefits it provides to the state's residents. Well, my background was, uh, I've been obviously doing this a while. I um, uh, grew up in Osawatomie, Kansas, which is south there of Kansas City, and uh, uh, went to KU because some friends were going there, went to journalism because I was better suited for that than becoming a lawyer or something like that. And uh, I worked a lot of smaller places. Uh, I worked in Oostawatomie, Kansas and Parsons, Kansas, uh, uh, worked in Lawrence, uh, later worked for, um, uh, when I got out of school, I had an internship with the Associated Press. I worked in Topeka and Bismarck, North Dakota. And, uh, (laughs) uh, And I had a little bit of time with the AP and then I, I came back and, and, um, Eventually made my way to Florida and worked for the company that owns the Kansas City paper. At that time, it was called Knight Ritter. And I worked two years in Tallahassee, Florida. Made the transition from reporting to editing at that point. Uh, and then came back to Wichita, Kansas and worked there eight years as a news editor and, and later assistant managing editor for news. Went to Texas for a decade and was editor of a paper in West Texas and San Angelo. Um, which is surprising to me. It's a place I never heard of. It's bigger than St. Joseph. It's um, 100,000 people. Okay. Um, and then I came back to St. Joseph and I was in St. Joseph 18 years as the uh, editor for the Bradley family up there. And uh, uh, while there, we obviously purchased some newspapers. So we actually uh, owned um, papers there in, in Smithville, Kearney. Uh, and um, um uh, Liberty, uh, also uh, Warrensburg, and and some of those have been sold off now. I believe Warrensburg has, and in Miami County, Kansas, and Palo Alto, So I'm really kind of a local person who went away for a while and came back. And uh, when I retired, I just retired at the at the retirement age of 65. But um, the industry had changed a lot. Um, uh, we needed some people more like you. <laughs> we need younger people who understood social media a lot better than I did. And, uh, and I was ready to, uh, to step out of that executive editor role. We also in St. Joseph had started several TV stations because that was part of the, the Bradley family ownership. And we needed somebody who had more TV experience. So, uh, I left there in fall of 18 and uh, did a couple of, um, things you do in retirement early on. And then I, and I've been, I, I said, I need something else to do. So I became the executive director of the Missouri Sunshine Coalition um, in January of 2020, the, the pandemic okay. year. And, uh, uh, and so all my thoughts about how that was going to unfold in terms of personal interactions and leveraging some of the, my traditional strengths in terms of knowing people and, and advocating for things became a little more difficult because you, you couldn't get in front of people personally. Um, but the organization still needed me as a part-time deal. I offered them a, that I could come in and help them stabilize um, some of the things they were doing, make sure they were um, you know, 
doing the basic functions that the Sunshine Coalition desires to do. And we can talk more about that. But I've done that now for uh, two years and uh, um, we're getting ready to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Sunshine Law in 2023 and to be the 15th anniversary of the Sunshine Coalition in 2023. That's great. I love to see all these um, organizations like this trying to uphold these laws and acts, however they've Mm -hmm. been you know, positioned in these different states. You know, I interacted in college with the Kansas Freedom of Information Act in New York, the Freedom of Information Law. There's a good reason they have acronyms. (laughs) And then now here at the Sunshine Law, we have the opportunity here to mentor interns, college interns. And that's one of our huge units that we cover in the summer is interacting with, you know, public records and meeting agendas and all those types of things. And then if those things can't be found online, you know, submitting all these requests and getting through that process, you know, negotiating the funds that maybe you need to find to Mm -hmm. get those things. So I really enjoyed your letter and that's, you know, the Missouri Press Association sent it out to us and I read it and I was like, oh, we have to talk to him about (laughs) everything that's going on. And I think People who aren't in journalism don't realize the power they have through the Sunshine Law. So do you want to start by maybe just giving a basic explanation of it just um, for people who may not be familiar? Absolutely. Um, the, uh, in, in 1966, the Federal Freedom of Information Act was passed, and that set the tone in the country for, you know what, uh, um, Information belongs to the public. The public's business is 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 uh, should be public, and uh, so shortly thereafter, uh, several states started uh, making their own laws that applied to state records, and so that's how you saw sunshine laws occur uh, coming into existence in multiple states. And so, by 1973, still there were not that many states that had done this, but uh, Missouri was one of those early ones, and uh, they were able to get a um, a good law passed that said, uh, essentially, it is the public policy of the state that meetings, records, votes, actions, and deliberations of public governmental bodies um, will be open to the public unless somehow otherwise provided by law. And so the presumption there is that records are public, meetings are public, and we are to conduct ourselves and lawmakers are and, and government officials uh, to make this happen. Um, and the law also said that it should be liberally construed and that the exceptions should be strictly construed to promote this policy. So if you have an exception, it needs to be narrow. If you are in doubt about the law, you should take the broad view. And, um, and so when the coalition came along about 15 years ago, about 35 years after the law had been in effect, I don't know the exact reasons for that, but there was certainly a group of concerned people that said, you know, we ought to be doing this. And there were coalitions in other states. We can talk more about that in a second. Uh, and so our coalition came along in 2008, was chartered as a nonprofit uh, 503C um, um, established for educational purposes. And so um, we promote uh, to the public awareness that the Missouri Sunshine Law exists. We educate and are prepared to educate anyone who has an interest about Missouri Sunshine Law and what it can mean for average citizens. Uh, And we um, 
within the allowances of the law, we're not allowed to lobby. We provide information whenever we can, including now to legislature, uh, uh, to advocate for the preservation of and improvement of the law as opposed to the erosion of the law, which is, uh, there are, I think now, 23 amendments to the law over the years. And a number of these were had bipartisan support uh, because broadly written, pretty much everything's open. And yet, um, things have changed over time. People are concerned about their privacy, for instance. And so there is some, there are some exceptions in there that allow for exceptions for uh, personal information. There are exceptions in there for juvenile records and that kind of thing. But broadly written, the law exists uh, to provide access and, uh, and the coalition exists to promote that access and, the, and to kind of stand up as a voice when other people want to cut into that. Sure. And I'm sure some of those amendments include things like, you know, as technology has evolved, yes. we have emails and text messages and Zoom meetings and all these things that weren't initially considered, obviously. Well, I was just going to go ahead and make reference to a national group. So we've been a member of a national group and dropped out and been a member. And we're, we're currently a member again in the last couple of years. And it's a really valuable organization. There is the National FOI, uh, Freedom of Information Coalition. And it has about 38 um, members, uh, organizational members, like the Missouri Sunshine Coalition. So not every state has one. There are only four or five states that have full-time directors. Uh, there are a few more states that have part-time directors. And in many, many states in the country, it's basically volunteers. And uh, um, it's a concern because uh, lawmakers receive a salary. They go down there and there's politics in play. And there's a lot of efforts to close things. And uh, COVID was a, um, a great um, eye-opener. Um, we had a national uh, board conversation this morning. As reason I, this is current for me. Um, there were people asking, well, what do we do after COVID? Will we go back to all in-person meetings? And in fact, um, there are some states, Colorado is one that's already, even before COVID, had already said, you can have a virtual meeting if you provide for access. In Missouri, particularly in rural Missouri, there are places that broadband is so poor that you don't have access if the meeting is virtual. You just don't. Um, and um, so what we are hoping that will become the path going forward, and there's also a new generation, as you know, people who are much more comfortable with, well, why should I go down to the city hall when I can just do it online? So we're very open to the idea that you would have uh, public meetings that are accessible to the public virtually. But we think that you ought to have a, a physical location, a quorum of the elected officials, and they, that means to be at the physical location to have a meeting. Um, and except in real emergencies, uh, not just convenience. And so real emergencies could be COVID, could be, you know, some other disaster or something uh, where there are allowances right now for people to call in and be part of a public meeting as an elected official while they're calling in. But that's not the same as just deciding all the meetings are going to be um, online. So it's just one of the many challenges right now to the uh, to the evolving law. The law has evolved. And I think the fact that there are 23 amendments suggest that supporters of the Sunshine Law understand that. We're not opposed to every idea that's proposed. 
but we are opposed to the one that I wrote about the other day. <laughs> yeah. So the letter you wrote, which we will share um, the link to that in the notes to this podcast, but a St. Louis area state representative is proposing changes to the Sunshine Law. Walk us through a little bit of what his idea in you know House Bill 2049, what those changes would look like. I always hate to speak for someone else, but uh, <laughs> our take on it uh, is that it would not be good for the Sunshine Law. And uh, you can tell early on in the conversation about it, there is a section of the law that says it's to be construed uh, that it does say the law is to be construed liberally. And just a few lines after that, it says it's it's not always to be liberally construed. Uh, that's a stunning thought. Uh, that's that's beyond, uh, it's, it's hard to imagine how, how big a change that would be when you consider the history of the law. It's always been state policy that uh, the law is to be liberally construed, that when in doubt, side of the public. And um, so that's just, a, as we noted in the column, that's just the beginning of some of these concerns. Right now, we have records that are public and records that are not public. Uh, this uh, bill, and, and these things are always subject to change, and so a lot of this may or may not happen, but it's always a concern when it's being proposed, would actually create a new category of public records, uh, transitory records, draft records that don't actually exist quite yet in the minds of the, of the offers of this. Um, and so as a result, may not actually be a public record yet. Um, we have a, uh, a long history in the state that says, here's how it works in Missouri. If you walk in and request a, a record and a record exists at that moment, then it's public unless, it's, unless the law says it's not. There's no, uh, there's no equivocation about that. This would actually create equivocation across the board with uh, public officials uh, being able to uh, you know, have an opinion and decide differently about whether something is yet a public record. And, and the notion that something is not quite yet a public record is, is just not something in current law and is not something we can, uh, you know, we should be embracing. Um, Fred, the biggest change that's being proposed is one of the most uh, significant victories that we've had in behalf of the law in recent years. Last year, the Missouri Supreme Court ruled in a case that um, obviously was appealed up to that level was that you cannot, a government agency cannot charge a, a private citizen for the work involved in sorting out whether a record is uh, open or not. Mm -hmm. And how that was supposed to work in the, in the inception of the law is that you either have open or closed records and you maintain them. Uh, when I come in today on, on uh, Friday and ask for a record, uh, I shouldn't have to bear the cost of you then figuring out which records are closed or not. That should already been resolved. That should already been part of your agency expense and is a proper expense that the taxpayers are more than willing to pay for because it's these are taxpayer records and we've allowed for some records to be closed and, and most to be open. So have the open ones ready when we come in. Do, do not expect that we're going to uh, have to wrangle over an extended period of time to get a record or that we're going to have to pay for your costs to sort them out. And that would be um, the, the bill in that context is absolutely uh, uh, proposing just a, a reversal of what the Missouri Supreme Court said last year, which we always felt was was longstanding public policy. So this that's a, a big attack on a decision last year. Um, 
elsewhere in the proposal, um, there's another, and this came a little bit out of COVID. There is a, a proposal that would allow government to announce where well, we're closing. You know, we won't be we won't be having public offices open here for the next few weeks because of this whatever this problem is. And as a result, all the timetables involved with requesting public records are, are put off. We don't have to respond to public records requests, and all time re- requirements of the law are frozen in time. Uh, once again, we've seen examples of that, that in small cases bubble up during COVID. We've seen it in other states. It's bad law. I mean, it does not serve the public's interest. Again, when so many records are in a digital form, when so many people, including government, are working remotely when they have to, um, this information is available and it should be provided promptly. Um, there's another whole kind of section of the of the bill that just has a litany of things that makes some public meetings no longer public, including meetings of subcommittees. It would, it would um, close home addresses for employees or applicants for appointments. And so as the letter notes, um, our letter notes, you might be have a somebody you're appointing to an office and you can't even figure out where they live. And I was a reporter a long time ago and, and for a long time. And I can tell you how important it is to be able to, to understand the true identity of a person and who they are and, and who's influencing them. But, but obviously where they reside is in the context of are they in the district that <laughs> that they're supposed to be serving in that kind Absolutely. of thing? Absolutely. Yeah. We've been talking about that with this whole redistricting thing that's going on both in Kansas city and in the state level. Some of those people aren't going to live in the district they represent anymore. And so knowing where they live is super important when you're talking about if they're actually capable of serving that office. Absolutely. Now, I guess the final point I'll make on this, and then we can visit on other topics is the and, and it's not some proposal, it's just a, a thought. Uh, the representative of the group points out that in his view that the arrival of computers and the iCloud and all these uh, things have made it all but impossible for state and local government employees to comply with the Sunshine Law. We read that going, well, we, we've come to the exact opposite conclusion. We think most people do is that uh, these records are stored digitally. It's easy to retrieve them. We're not quite sure why most of them shouldn't be in a a public facing database that we could all just log into this afternoon about ever going through hoops. But uh, we certainly do not believe that uh, the advances in technology have made it more difficult uh, for the people to uh, comply with the sunshine law. So that was our point of view. It was certainly um, one shared by the coalition. Um, we, uh, I tell you who, the, who makes up the coalition board at this point in, a, in rough fashion. So university professor at Missouri, there's a, a media law attorney in Kansas City. There's a, a news director in the Cape Girardeau. Uh, there's a private businessman in St. Louis. Uh, there's a um, public radio talk show host in St. Louis. Uh, there's a reporter in uh, northern Missouri. Um, and uh, there's a the head of the Associated Press there in Kansas City. And I'm leaving out one or two others because we all oh, we have a, a, a member of the League of Women Voters in Columbia. Uh, it is intended to be by uh, its charter to be a nine member board, five of which have some kind of interest in the, in the media world and four of which are from private citizens uh, or some other capacity of supporters. Um, 
that may evolve over time. We're so sensitive to bringing in new voices. Um, and we do, by no stretch, do we see the Sunshine Law as being primarily a, a media instrument. We actually believe it is a, a, a public's instrument. And I think that uh, um, the Attorney General's office could confirm that the most, most of their cases, most of the complaints, most of the interactions they have on, on this subject show that the public is a bigger user of the Sunshine Law than the media is. And that's, that's a misunderstood thought. Yeah, for sure. I think especially, you know, in this digital age, we've talked so much about how things, how that should allow more transparency. You know, it's not somebody digging through a file cabinet that's right. stuff full of stuff. It, right. it should be searchable right there. And I thought it was funny in your letter, um, you said anyone who understands how computers work. <laughs> My first thought, you know, as a journalist in Missouri, was when our governor accused a journalist of hacking the state's website. <laughs> And I was like, oh, man, maybe we do just need some more people in office that understand how computers work. <laughs> well, we um, we work uh, in as collaborative way as we can with the state officials uh, who uh, are our elected leaders in our state. Uh, they are our elected leaders. We, we're not disputing their elections. OK, so we'll talk about that. And uh, um, and yet there are moments when we get kind of on different pages and we have to kind of work on that. The governor has had some real issues with um, um, the St. Louis uh, newspaper reporting on uh, the breaches in security. Uh, he's had real issues with the Missouri Independent Organization and their reporting um, on COVID. Um, uh, Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who, whose face is on the cover of the Missouri Sunshine Law, handbook, uh, which is given out uh, across to anyone who wants one, um, his office kind of oversees the compliance with the Sunshine Law. Uh, he at times has said, well, I'm not responsible. I can't, I can't, uh, um, I can't uh, wade into this issue on the Sunshine Law because uh, the governor is my client, for instance, if it was a Sunshine Law request involving the governor. So there's some real issues out there. He says, well, if, you, if not you, uh, Attorney General Schmidt, who <laughs> and uh, and our law doesn't provide for some another who uh, so uh, we have continuing uh, need to be in conversation with our top officials about these issues and we won't engage in um, you know name calling anything we'll stick to issues uh, because we think that at the end of the day they should care about the same things we care about but we're surprised sometimes we are <laughs> you know. I guess towards the middle of March, um, the national organization is celebrating uh, Sunshine Week. Yes. Um, talk about some of the activities that go into that and bringing awareness to the necessity of laws like this. Sunshine Week has been observed nationally for a number of years, but not as long as our Sunshine Law has been around. Hmm. Um, um, I don't know the exact uh, age of it, but uh, the uh, Sunshine Week begins on Sunday, March 13th, it runs for seven days. So it runs from March 13th through Saturday the 19th. And you won't see something every day. It's uh, it's intended to be an awareness week, uh, an education week in some respects. Uh, I was on a conference call yesterday with our board, and we will be planning a, a virtual activity during that week um, where we will recognize uh, perhaps a couple of people who in the last 
year or so have had real success in advocating for the Sunshine Law. Uh, one is a private individual, uh, just a citizen, and one is a, um, an attorney who took a case and, and had great success with it. And we'll be raising up both of those people uh, as part of our talking about the Sunshine Law and talking about how uh, it works for everybody in Missouri. Um, we'll also be soliciting at that time um, people's um, um, experiences with the Sunshine Law, uh, whether it's journalists or others. Um, and we have a few, we have some of that information. It's not all anecdotal. I actually get about a couple of calls a month from people who find us in the directories and online and, and want to need help a little bit with the Sunshine Law. And there, it's an amazing cross-section of people, uh, just an amazing cross-section of, of almost always private individuals who are wrestling with the Sunshine Law. And, um, uh, and so we'll be asking people to tell us their experiences, tell us if there's any particular area that they, they're more concerned about than another. And then it's possible after that that we would undertake uh, um, what is known as kind of a, a, a Sunshine Law audit, where we would take a segment of the, the society and we would, uh, we would put out a request to county clerks or sheriff's departments or someplace and say, hey, we're, we're interested in this particular document that we understand is supposed to be a public record. Do you have it? And can you provide it? How long is it going to take for you to provide it? Um, it could be a school superintendent's contracts in 10 districts or something like that. Um, and so we think that's uh, our role in keeping awareness in front of people is to invent a few things that help with that. Um, and uh, in other times before COVID, uh, we've had a public meeting um, uh, there in usually in Columbia on the campus where we would invite speakers to talk about these subjects and, and, and maybe have a, a part of that devoted to media issues and that kind of thing. But, but Sunshine Heroes is something we've done in the past. We feel like we can do that again. And, um, and, uh, we've also done audits in the past. We think we can do that again. So those are the kind of things we're talking about this year. And, um, nationally and through the Missouri Press Association, which is a critical partner of our group, um, they make available information, um, um, including um, editorial cartoons and columns that are timely, and obviously not all from Missouri. The column that is being distributed under my name uh, here recently will probably be our column for this year. Uh, uh, be used between now and then is fine, uh, just because we think that focus is where you know, that we ought to be in terms of making sure people are aware of these kind of threats. You know, this is Missouri, the show me state. How, how essential is it that we have protections like this for the public to be able to access their public records? You know, transparency, we talk about freedom, all these things that a lot of Missourians would stand up for. And this seems like, you know, something worth protecting. I, you know, um, I came to know about the Sunshine Law a little bit in college, as you did, and later in my actual reporting life, um, and later as an editor. Um, and then I chose to be involved um, in this role. It's just stunning to think that it, what would we be like if we didn't have this? I mean, I've had citizen activists um, um, in Kansas City. Uh, approach me and say, you know, I'm trying to find out how much money is being spent on police in our town, and I'm having trouble. I want to find out how much um, 
gear um, uh, that the police have received from uh, federal grants that allow them to get like heavy armor and things like that to leftover military gear. I don't think my community ought to have military gear in the hands of local police. Great, great conversation. You know, and finding that out should be as simple as going down and, and asking to see the records of the budget or what have you. And if not, then you need to have some leverage. And that's what the law can provide. Now, in truth, the law has these bumps into all these little places where the police can say, well, we don't we don't release tactical information. But the police were helpful in Kansas City and, and saying, look, we didn't take any of this, this uh, the government surplus um, equipment. We didn't take any of that in the last three years. And, and they were very forthcoming about that. So those kind of questions, whether it's that or I had a, a situation out in um, northern Missouri where um, the gentleman was concerned about a, a man who ran for public office and I think was elected, um, but did not live in the in the city council district that he sought to represent. And he wanted to know how to go about doing that. And, and what he ended up doing, again, with the law behind him, the law didn't directly apply on a specific point he was raising uh, because this is more of a, an elections commission requirement to file a proper paperwork and all that. But when he came into the offices of the city talking about transparency in the law and, and in his questions, I think it helped him. And, and, and that's, that's what it does sometimes. It simply reminds everybody, wait a minute, we've got a whole section of Missouri law that says we are going to be a transparent society and that the public is entitled to information. And uh, so it doesn't apply in every instance, but it helps in, in almost every instance. Uh, but again, the range of concerns that have, have come to us over time uh, suggest that it matters greatly to a lot of people. And and I, I use the example because from my reporting days, I, you know, school superintendents have a big job, and I think we've all come to appreciate their jobs more now than we used to. I mean, it's, it's a big job. In fact, sure. school superintendents are leasing, leaving their jobs quicker than they did in the past. But there was a time, and maybe still is, that a school superintendent in a big district uh, in a community of not big size would often be the highest compensated person in the community. They would have uh, their payment, but they would also have an amazing pension. They would might have allowances for you know club memberships or what have you it was it was all written out somewhere and uh, and that just should have been front page news in most communities if 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 the world worked the right way but usually it wasn't and so requesting those kind of documents and saying no 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 we really do want to know this information and we're entitled to it we're not trying to be a you know not trying to be difficult here but it really needs to be public that's a good thing uh, whereas you might or may not think that Every single janitor on a payroll's salary, it, even though it's available, should be available, doesn't necessarily require that someone's going to say, well, I'm going to go publish that list. That's not that's not the public's level sure, of interest. It all has to be newsworthy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, Sunshine, Sunshine Week, uh, uh, that's our opportunity to... Um, to to step up. And like I said at the outset, maybe I, I think I did on this call, maybe I didn't... Uh, this bill in the legislature gives us a perfect time to be talking about the Sunshine Law, and it kind of makes it easy for us to lead in the Sunshine Week talking about that. I think the one note anecdote you shared about um, activists in Kansas City curious yes. about the ACPD budget, you know, we, we don't have local control here. 
And the board is appointed by the governor at the state level. So sometimes you really do have to go up a few levels to get those things. You know, you can't go to the city and say, give me the police budget. Um, well, absolutely. Could, but they wouldn't just hand it over without submitting a sunshine request. <laughs> well, and as you as you follow that issue, uh, it gets even more complicated. You, you actually want to find out who, uh, um, who are the, um, oh, I'm trying to think of his name, but the, the members of the legislature in the Senate, you want to you want to find out who those who's influencing those people, because why isn't this issue changing in, in, in Kansas City? And you find out that there's a, a few people that don't want it to change. And you think, well, what is their dog in this fight? And you, and you start chasing that a little bit and you start finding out. Well, and this is where the sunshine law kind of works hand in hand with the, uh, the elections law where you find out about camp- campaign contributions, separate categories, but still uh, just constructed with some of the same thoughts. And the ethics commission, all three of those together uh, lead you to more answers about your questions, but you, uh, you're exactly right. You Sometimes you have to dig a little bit. Well, and you mentioned election law. And as we approach um, filing day coming up here soon, uh, we're already keeping our eye on quite a few campaigns here locally. Might be some interesting things to dig into as this yeah. election season ramps up. You know, um, I think it's definitely a tool that journalists use often. You know, obviously there's barriers like time. You know, if you're on a deadline and things aren't going to get back in time, there's a cost to these things. But what I hope to see in the future is more citizens, you know, taking on projects by themselves, or if they're curious, they can find out the answer themselves. And I'm not sure that everybody knows that they can do that. You know, we've got a great example of that in Parkville, um, um, a fellow who uh, works remotely in a, in a, in a good, in a really good job. I mean, he's a, he's a well-regarded in his profession, but he works remotely. So he's out. Uh, he lives in Parkville. There was an issue there involving some kind of local development. And he had he and some neighbors had questions about it. And they start going into what we call peeling back the onion, trying to understand what was going on with this issue. They found ethics concerns and everything else. But ultimately, it became a sunshine law um, case where he, um, he made a number of requests to the local government. They weren't complying. Records weren't being kept or where they were being destroyed, all kinds of different issues. And reached the largest out-of-court settlement in the history of Missouri uh, here not within the last year, wow. um, where they agreed to pay, I don't know, I want to say it's $150,000 or something like that, um, and and change their ways. Uh, and citizens can have a tremendous impact. And, and that was a great example. There is cost involved when you have to go do it uh, with attorneys involved. And so the low-hanging fruit is to... Um, Get a copy of the Missouri Sunshine Law. Uh, <laughs> booklet is available, and you can also find it on the Attorney General's website in digital form um, and request copies, I think, on digital form in, in print if you want from the website. But get a copy of the Sunshine Law and, and understand that while it runs on a few pages, um, I think it's 75-page booklet, a bunch of that is just uh, uh, references to court cases and things at the end, the actual text of the law. But Less than half of that book, but is just an explanation of the law in layman's terms. Um, and its core value is 
the, the records and, and meetings of Missouri public entities should be open unless otherwise closed by law. And you should consider them that way. And there's a mechanism there for you to make an objection. And there are, in the, the book shows you, gives you a sample form for how to do that, to stand up in the public meeting and say, you know, I'm sorry, but I, I would like to object to this, this meeting being closed or, or this whatever else that you're objecting to. And there are methods there. Every record in the state that falls under this law is supposed to be subject to a, a records custodian. And mostly that's handled by every governmental body appointing someone who's in charge of records. Oftentimes that's the county clerk. But that individual then is supposed to be responsible as well for complying with the law. And um, we would love to see in the future and, and something that I'm sure we'll be talking about more and more. And sometimes this takes years to accomplish. We would love to have mandatory training in Missouri, and mandatory sounds like such a heavy thing, but it wouldn't be, be, be like if you'd have for a notary public or something like that. But you'd have to go online and take a quiz that shows if you're a county clerk or maybe an elected official that you have um, um, been exposed to what the Sunshine Law is about, that you understand it, and that you can pass a, a quick test on it, that, you, that you're familiar with it. Sure. We think that ought to be just an expectation of everybody who serves in, in state government uh, at the, either the official level or the custodian level. Um, and that would be a start. Yeah, absolutely. I think especially um, that might keep some people out of trouble, you know, if they know that everything's available to the public. Um, well, you also make a great point there. You make a great point. I'm sorry to interrupt, but... Um, there are plenty of people in state government and local government who want to comply with the law. A lot of times they don't um, understand it well enough to comply, uh, but we're not suggesting that it's always a, a confrontation or antagonistic relationship with some of the people that you and I would interact with as reporters. There are a lot of good people who want to do the right thing, but sometimes they don't know exactly what the right thing is, and they just need to understand no, no, these records are pretty much the public's records. You're just hanging on to them. So can we go ahead and see them now, please? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to compliment. Um, the Kansas City City Clerk's website recently got updated, and it is so much easier to make requests to find documents so that you don't have to make the request, stuff like oh. that. Um, I would love to see that statewide. You know, there's a lot of barriers to technology that we still have to overcome in the state, but the better access that people have to meetings and meeting minutes, things like that, it'll save those clerks a lot of time. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of hard to tell the, the best path for that. You'd like to think, well, we just mandate it. But the other solution is, why don't we, why don't we elect people and, and appoint people who, um, who are good people at their core and they understand the, the theory of best practices. So they're going to, they're going to look to Kansas city and just adopt what they do, you know, voluntary, application and adoption of things is, is probably the preferred way, but it doesn't always work that way, as you know, and, and sometimes it's slow to reach, um, I wouldn't say rural areas, but backwater areas, places where, where they're a little less inclined to change or to do what everybody else is doing. But uh, certainly, I agree with you. That would be great if everybody did it more transparently in the digital age it makes it possible. Yeah. yeah. Well, we appreciate everything that your organization does and working with Missouri Press. I think um, it's a great partnership for us to see as journalists to have these resources out there. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, Justin, we'd like to remind everyone to uh, know that uh, the Sunshine Law is there to work for you, that 
uh, Sunshine Week is coming up when you're here a little more about us. But you can always access the Sunshine Law in digital form on the website of the Missouri Attorney General. And um, and you can always uh, um, look for the Missouri Sunshine Coalition and give us a call if you have any any way that you would like to uh, uh, have questions or things like that. Yeah, and I've got a physical copy here in my office, so anybody in the neighborhood can <laughs> stop by any time. That's wonderful. Well, we really appreciate your time, and I hope you have a nice, cozy weekend with all the yeah. stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. It was great to visit with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you. I know. Bye. As we continue our 90-year tradition of delivering free newspapers to Northeast residents, now you can help the Northeast News continue to produce community journalism directly by joining us on Patreon at patreon.com slash northeastnewskc. In exchange, we hope to offer our Patreon subscribers access to exclusive content. And thank you for listening to the Northeast Newscast. For all our episodes, articles, and more, visit northeastnews.net. And thank you once again to our sponsors, Jamaica's Online Market in Delhi and Seaburg Mufflers. For all our Northeast Newscast episodes, articles, and more, visit northeastnews.net. For the Northeast News, I'm Abby Hoover. (laughs) 